Our mission here is to inform and create discussion about racial disparities, social inequality, toxic masculinity, and other relatable social justice issues to impact at least one individual in the community by educating or creating the drive for change. Hi, and welcome to the Mocha Talks podcast. I'm going to be your host, Osvaldo Salas. I am the president of the Men of Color Alliance. I am in my fourth year, and I am a construction management major. And... I'm Yahira. And I'm a kinesiology major, and I'm here doing my second year at UNLV. And I'm Darian. I am a double major in theater and hospitality in my third year, and I'm the president of the Women of Color Coalition, or better known as WOC. And yeah, we're all really happy to be here. So let's start this podcast off on the usual topic that we always talk about is the state of UNLV. So let's start off with how tuition is going to be increased once again, and how's, how, how do you all feel about that? I think that's another issue we can talk about later about how you know we didn't really know how to communicate because all it was was I think it wasn't even an email I think someone just texted me and was like did you know our tuition's going up and I was just kind of sitting there was like um I'm still paying off my loans I'm still doing all this and I'm like why am I getting extra fees especially if there's some people who didn't even come back to campus so I really don't know much other than it was a surprise no, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with that. The communication, like you said, was definitely not as clear as it could, and I can say should have been. Just especially the idea of I personally have been trying to actively keep up with the COVID changes and how they're affecting campus and things like that, but I still don't wholeheartedly know why there was a tuition increase. I've kind of had to pull that assumption for myself that it's to like combat the money loss that the university has taken as a toll everything going on but the fact that that wasn't clearly communicated and that there's already speculation of more tuition increases happening doesn't make me feel great as a student at all and like Yahira said I'm already rolling in some debt and so just knowing that it's going to increase with little to no explanation of why isn't the business. Yeah, like before, you know, that's not good, but I was like, okay, at least I know why I got debt. I know what I'm paying for, I have all these fees, but now I'm like, why am I adding more debt that I don't know why I'm going to add more to it, you know? So I definitely, I don't know if persuasion is anything about it being anything. For the increasing tuition? Yeah. No, I am as clueless as the rest of the <laughs> campus. However, we all just know that there are going to be more increases, and I completely agree that UNLV has a track record of being horrible with communication when it comes to anything. Even pre-COVID, when they were trying to decide what to do, while it was a stressful time, it was even more stressful for students who were unaware if they were going to be able to stay on campus, if they weren't, if they had to go home, if they didn't have to go home. It was just quite a mess. On top of that, so now that there's increased in tuition, people are wondering about like homework and the textbooks. Extra costs that are coming mm-hmm. out of our pockets yeah. so that we can do COVID learning, that we can do remote learning. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. And like effectively yeah. actually learn what we're supposed to be learning in a class it's in a whole different all environment. These little extra fees that come along with their classes that we didn't know were going to be there until the first day, and they're like, "You guys need to go download this app. You guys need to go buy a subscription to this," and it's. 
going to be a lot of things that I feel like some students are not going to be able to support themselves enough to have a successful year. So I don't know. I just I don't know if there's going to be resources that are going to be added. Then again, I'm like they're already charging us extra. How are they going to have money to create those new resources? So it's just like a kind of scary unknown that we're going to go into this semester and. No, completely. Completely agree because right now on top of tuition you have to buy your textbooks. There's apps like Top Hat and Pearson and different math programs and a bunch of different stuff just to continue to do remote learning even though sometimes you won't even need those apps that they really want you to buy. Sometimes it's just like I've had a class where they just required you to have the app and then they gave you the grade for having the app. But that's just it. So if I'm just gonna pay for my for my grade, what's the point of even getting this whole app to spend fifty to a hundred dollars on? No, yeah, I agree. And just the idea of the things that, of course, we do need to like effectively learn through remote learning. Um, and I know the transition for some this last spring semester is a lot easier for others. Um, like speaking from my own experience, all of my t um, professors were very adaptable, um, very understanding, were very effective in the transition when other folks that I know had a very hard time transitioning. And of course... Are you talking about me? Because <laughs> um, I can speak on that when you're done. Yeah. I, I had a horrible experience. Yeah, and like one specific one is the idea of like we're seeing all these extra charges and things that aren't in the syllabi that students were expected to do. Um, like I know a few of my friends that were in the STEM field and things like that, their professors told them that they have to start taking proctored exams, which funny enough, UNLV actually did send out an email telling instructors that they cannot tell students to take proctored exams or issue proctored exams if it's not in the syllabi. And it wasn't the syllabi for many people and they had to still take these proctored exams. So the idea of, like we said, really clear just straight miscommunication on behalf of the university and it just gets worse with a trickle-down effect of going from admin to professors to students and just how everything gets misconstrued yeah it hasn't been the best time I'd say speaking on behalf of everyone um, it's definitely been a challenge and yeah people are trying to adjust but you know still doesn't necessarily mean it's the best best thing going on yeah, um, last semester when everything started changing, I had one teacher whose class was already pretty hard in person. Um, just a little preview was like, we had 30 minutes to do 50 questions per test. And it was just insane. Like, And on top of that, she wouldn't post her material online because she was scared of her material getting out on the internet, which was an issue in itself because her presentations only showed her work that she's ever done, like labs that she's done. So it's like, it's already out on the internet, why are you scared of your presentation? But that's a different problem. Once it went online, it got reduced to maybe 45 questions, so five questions less, but it still was never enough time. She didn't post a test on time, so we'd be up at 10, which was our class period, and it was just like, she was super unscheduled, which I guess is because everyone was learning to work with the online material, but she was just super anti, like, she was not open to knowing that students have different, um, what is it called? Like tactile, 
Like learning styles? Yeah, mm-hmm. so the teacher was just super ignorant to the students' learning styles, and she didn't realize that some students need that review. They need to know what to practice and be able to go back to what they learned on the lecture. And she just did not care. She did not care us out. Every email was the same of like, oh, I'm scared of my, I'm like, I'm scared of my stuff going on the internet. And it was just not a good time. After that, it was just downhill. But I had one English teacher who was so good about it. He was super flexible with the dates. And I guess the biggest difference from that semester to this one is hoping that with the new leadership we have here on the campus, maybe things will turn around and maybe things will be more organized. And I don't know, it's just scary to go into the semester with a positive outlook when last semester it just was so crazy. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, completely. Because it just, this semester going into it, we're in a whole new era. It's a whole different design. So who knows what the end result of this is, will actually be because as it stands, we're gonna have some in-person classes but we're gonna have mostly remote learning classes. However, if those will be successful in actually teaching the students, that is the big unknown. So from that, let's start talking about more of the different situations in the community for the land X individuals on campus and within the country. So at first I wanted to actually start talking about the differences between the labels of Hispanic, Latinx, and Latina and Latino, which to the understanding of different um, Latinx studies professors that I had, the difference between Hispanic and Latinx and Latina and Latino is very slim, but there is a difference because Latinx was created to be a kind of overarching of all three to kind of be like, okay, this is one that we can use to talk about that entire group in a way. While Hispanic was used for just the... It was, yeah, if it was if you spoke Spanish or if it was like, like, and it means by Spain Spanish, not just mm-hmm. like any Spanish. At the same time, it was the Latino and Latina were just for South American individuals. Latin America, and, including Brazil, excluding yes. Spain. Meanwhile, Hispanic does include Spain, doesn't include Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. And then Latinx was kind of just to connect all of that and to use one banner to kind of put everybody under. So I the reason why I want to talk about that is because that's not usually something that's well known by the yeah. community. Um, I would definitely agree with that because when, especially with the topics we're going to go into with the deportation, essential workers, and all that, people tend to have the image of their mind of one specific specific immigrant being mostly Mexican, especially on the, on the West Coast is where it's heavily populated populated by people who immigrated from Mexico, where people on the East Coast, when they hear immigrants, they think of way different variety, because you see a lot more of uh, Latin American people on that side. So it's just um, to get the differences out so that when you start talking about these topics, you have it right and be like, okay, I don't have to stereotype and be like, this is the person I'm imagining, because really it's anyone. Oh, no, completely. And it's always been a common occurrence where, like, 
individual, especially in like the Latinx community, that people try to compare themselves between Mexican and Brazilian or like anything like that, even though all the struggles are still struggles. They're not all the same, but there's like there's no comparison that's needed. Right now, the biggest problem within the country is deportation and the internment camps that are still happening in the United States that are still growing in capacity. Um, the quality is just lowering, basically. And it's tragic to really see it happening still in the country, even though there's still so much protest, there's still so much backlash for them even existing, but nobody's really doing anything for it. Yeah, I think the issue with that is that people think that deportation is something new, that um, the popular pictures of kids in cages and all that, none of that's new. It's been going on. It's just that right now, like, I feel that our country is finally going through that awakening of opening our eyes and questioning and making sure, like, okay, is what I'm being fed by the media true or should I dig a little deeper? Should I force myself to be like, you know what, take the time and read things, look things up? Um, because deportation and the issues that come along with it, it's just, it's gone back so far that usually the stories were only being told within the Latinx community, but luckily we've been given a platform where we can speak out about our experiences and um, share it with others so that we can kind of share insight onto what's been going on. I think it's, um, I think it is really interesting that I've the way, like you said, how deportation and things like that are perceived and how even, because of course the face that you say that people imagine when they talk, when they talk about um, people who are immigrants and like people who get deported and things like that, they only depict one face. And I was actually looking into this a little bit for myself, um, and a really large amount of folks in the internment camps right now that are going on are Haitian, and a lot of people don't understand that this is a huge issue that heavily affects. Um, of course, the Latinx community, but you know what I mean, just like it goes beyond it. It's yeah, it's for it's a humanitarian issue yeah. within our country, and it's just like you said, it's getting all the facts, and people try to make excuses for like, oh, well, people from these countries have a lower rate because people usually go about becoming a citizen this way, and they do the right thing, and it's like the right thing, or quote unquote right thing, just because. It tears apart fam. It tears apart families. Yeah. It rips children from their parents. Exactly. It. I know multiple people that have had grandparents of theirs um, apply for citizenship over forty years ago, and their grandparents have passed in the time that exactly. their citizenship came. Yeah. Like it's not the system. It's just another system that is broken in our country that people think can just be slightly fixed or like reformed but it's like when things are so broken it's like how can you reform something that's a system that's like continuously just eating away at people's lives and like what this country is based upon of like if you feel things are right or if things aren't right you should be able to come here and seek solace and go for the american dream and all of these things but it's like how are we supposed to do that when it's so out of reach for everybody and that's the thing, like, people make it seem like it's this easy process. But you just apply, like, I want to be a citizen. Okay, cool, here's your, here's your proof. No, it's not. No, I know someone who came here with her son, and 
when you're fleeing your country, you're saying, okay, I'm bringing my child because I'm going to protect it because I want to give him a better life. No, in the eyes of the United States of America, you are trafficking a child. So that woman, to this day, hasn't gotten her citizenship because in the eyes, she's a criminal. She trafficked a child across the country. All she was trying to do was just provide a better life, trying to be safe. Like, no, it's, it's just there's so many loopholes of, okay, you want to do it the right way, but the right way you actually messed up, made a mistake five years ago, so now you're going to pay for it for the rest of your life. So it's kind of like this endless trap of if you're lucky enough and if you kept it low-key enough, you can become a citizen, but then there's all these little things that will always pop up. When you're in there in that room, they bring out a book so big, stacked with information about you. I have relatives who have to go through it, and they just ask you questions to see if you're lying. Oh, did you ever get a speeding ticket? Okay, well, right here in the book it says that you did. And it's like they're asking you all these questions that you're like, I don't have that type of recollection where I can remember what I was doing on September 12th of 2008. Like, it's just nonsense. And people like to talk about it like it's so easy. Well, they should come in here the right way. Well, it's kind of like, well, mm, what is the right way? way? Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing that, like a specific tweet going around where it's like, it's like stills from Mean Girls, but it's just the idea of like, someone being like oh if you don't like this country then just like go somewhere else and like so you agree that if someone disagrees with politics and the things that are happening in their country that they should be able to go somewhere else and seek solace and have the opportunity to essentially change their fate as that we push so heavily and it's just like people just lose like want to pick and choose the things that are okay that are okay instead of just like recognizing that this system as a whole only benefits certain folks and it's just another product of a broken system and how all of these people that are getting caught up and become like you said like child smugglers and criminals when it's like they're literally just trying to do the best for their family exactly or for most of the time that is they want to do the best for their family and they want to like be able to create those opportunities which is something that the united states pushes so heavily in the state of capitalism like you can be who you want to be you can do all these things that you want to do you can create what you want to create and you can do it however it, it might not be for another 45 years if it even happens that way like no and then I don't know there's another tweet if it's like racism is so American that when you protest it well how, how does it finish do you know yeah it's like racism is so American that when you protest it you think it's un-American exactly yeah so that goes with this like it's something that should be a humanitarian issue, but all of a sudden you want to bring race into it, like how you mentioned that tweet about, oh, so you agree that people should be able to seek rest, yeah. So it's the same thing, it's like, how come in your eyes, just you add someone of color, or you add someone who's different from you, all of a sudden you're not okay with it. Like why is it, why are you the exception? Why are you the norm? Why is it okay for you to do it, but not people who look like me, or Josue, or, or Darian? And then, like, even the struggle goes even further that even the people that do, like, immigrate here to America and whether whatever means that is, the difficulty of finding good work for them. And, yeah. like, right now, especially in COVID, there's the farmers that are predominantly immigrants who only make about, I, I just saw it earlier today, about, like, $13.54, something like that, an hour. And they're still working out in the heat constantly, and they're essential worker, but no, they don't have any extra precautions because of COVID. They don't have any extra 
okay because of COVID or anything like that, despite all the struggles that they have to go through daily just to support their family so that they can live that American dream that everybody else is living. And after the whole struggle of just like going to become part of this country, this is the struggle that they have to face of what can they do for work. Yeah, and then going off of that, like you said, like people are deemed essential workers and things like that, but then like the conditions don't match to what they're being paid. Like it's not equitable, the the circumstances that people are having to work in, especially in California, that it relies super heavily in agriculture and super heavily in, um, yeah, in agriculture and just the idea that there's a ton of wildfires going on right now. So all those work, essential workers that are doing manual labor, working in fields or working in factories and things like that, they're going, they're not being equitably in, being yeah, just straight, yeah. just straight exploitation, and it kind of goes into the same thing as how within like the prison industrial complex, how oh. they'll utilize prisoners for fighting fires. Like they're literally taking groups of prisoners to go fight fires that have no experience, nothing like that, but are like, since you're in this system, we can use you how we want to use you, and what since you have all this experience now, it's not going to qualify for when you go for when you're back out of the system, having to work your way back yeah. into a society that you should have been rehabilitated, quote unquote, is the whole thing with the prison system, like rehabilitated so you can now enter society and be an ideal citizen and things like that. But just that simple fact alone just shows you how it is what it is. It's exploitation and how it's like, we're gonna take the good things where we can in this instance since you got yourself into this situation and it's not gonna be benefit to you after even though you should be all happy Danny that you're out and that now you can go back to living your life. It's always that much harder. Well, like what's worse about that too is like, especially for the farmers, there's no like room for growth or anything. It's like, they're gonna stick to that 13.54, then it might go up another 50 cents and get $14 an hour and that's the most that they'll see. And what, are they just gonna, if they stop working, what's the next plan? No, yeah, it's, it's, the industry is just, ugh, there's so many things wrong with it, and the exploitation goes beyond just like the long hours and the working conditions. Like, I forgot which company it was, but it, it seemed like a nice touch at first, kind of, you know, how Lush puts like a cartoon figure of the person who packaged it, it was the same thing. But instead of doing it like, oh, like meet your, your worker, it was like, oh, if your batch comes out bad, I need to know who it was that packaged it. Like, they. Oh, made it yikes. to seem like it was something positive, but in reality, it was just to hold employees accountable for any money that was lost. And it was just crazy to me. And I was like, who in their right mind already is a probably billionaire? Well, maybe not millionaire, maybe like, what? Millionaire. Millionaire. We'll go with that. Owns these, like, farm companies, and it's just, you're so greedy to the point you're going to exploit your workers, the people who got you to where you're at. You're going to exploit them and not only make sure that you can punish them later for any mistakes done on the clock where you're already exploiting them, you're already treating them far from humane. So it's like, ah, uh, that industry is just, it's horrible. It's obviously an opportunity for them to make a wage and for them to try to reach what we were saying so many times, the American dream, but it's just, if it, it just seems like that field is making it almost unreachable where it's they're working you to your, pretty much, pretty much, just, it's crazy. I can't even know, I don't even know what to say anymore. 
it's just so unfair the way they're treated and yeah yeah it really makes that american dream really seem like nothing more than a dream because even anyone that lives in this country there's still so much different struggles and so many so much systematic oppression that just ruins this country for everyone yeah and and going from there like and even the people that immigrate here successfully and everything they live their lives and they're doing the best that they can for their family but their fam when their family their children grow older it becomes a conflict between themselves of if they're too Latinx for the community or too American for their family. And that, that's a similar situation for anyone that immigrates into the country, but uh, for me personally, I know it's a common thing because for a long time, like I was, a lot of my family always feel like, like they poke fun because I didn't know Spanish growing up and stuff. And then as I grew older and I learned Spanish, it was more of like how I don't eat the food or I don't do this or do that. And it's just a constant thing of like, that I've been Americanized or like whitewashed or whatever like that, you know? Exactly, and my personal experience with that was just more on the side of like, I originally was in a lower income neighborhood and then we like slowly, my mom got raises at jobs and slowly we got to go into like a nicer area and you know, whatever. And it was just like, I got to see all the different sides of like the school zoning and all that. So when I first started off, I was friends with a bunch of Latinx people, um, got to middle school. It was still pretty like divisive of the portions of the portions, but then I got to high school and that's when it was predominantly white and I would get comments, all these microaggressions like, oh, you're nice for Latina. You're supposed to be sassy. You're supposed to be fire. You're supposed to be this. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be anybody for you. Like, I'm, this is who I am. Like, what are you talking about? And then the jokes would come out about like, the, oh, eating hot Cheetos in the morning and being loud. I was like, mm, okay. Like I was being judged for the friends I had. And it was, it was just weird because I was put in a position where I had the opportunity to take advanced track classes. And so I was stepping between these two worlds of people who never knew what it was like to miss a meal. And then with my friends whose parents are working those jobs we were mentioning or like working in the fields, work doing um, house, uh, house cleaning and things like that. So it was just weird to be in that middle where it's constantly like sticking out for my friends and then trying to make these people see like, why are you judging us? Like, why can't you just let us be a part of this? Like, it was just super exclusive, super just, it was full of stereotypes, microaggressions and just everything bad that could possibly be in high school was right there in that school. And like even, it's just, I know there's people that have worse situations throughout their life because it becomes like a source of disconnect within their family. Because if you become too American, too whitewashed or whatever, then the family will just look down upon you because you're not, you're not embracing your culture. You're not one way, who, whatever culture you are. And then that makes it all just more hectic within your family and more toxic in that whole community. Because then you can't, you don't feel comfortable talking to your parents, to your family, to your parents or brothers about anything because they look down upon you. 
before that. And it's a struggle throughout like anyone's life because you need that source of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yes, that works. That source of, you really need that source of acceptance within anyone. So lacking that within your family just makes you struggle throughout anything that you're doing in your life. So that's, yeah. Can I ask you all a question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in kind of in regards to that, do you think that folks within the Latinx community, if we're using that as like the full umbrella term, um, do you think folks that are lighter skinned have to face that struggle more often because you're already seen as a lighter complexion, which a lot of folks don't associate with the Latinx community? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. do you think that people even, it's more of, it's more of a take on colorism because that affects yeah. all um, folks of color in different ways throughout different communities. But do you think even if people, like you said, ticked all the boxes of, oh yeah, you're enough for this, and like policing, you know what I mean, what it means to be a person of color within y'all's communities, do you think people would still think you're almost too American even if you take those boxes by just being oh, yeah. a lighter complexion. Yeah, I literally, so like I mentioned, went to a predominantly white high school, and that's where I met my boyfriend, and his stepdad just hasn't had any education about, especially the current topics, Black Lives Matter, he has very strong opinions about that, and anything that comes with that, and we were talking, at, like I think it was Mother's Day, we went out for dinner, and it just got awkward because he looked at me, my boyfriend, my boyfriend is uh, Filipino, and half, half Filipino, half white, and we were talking about like how he had joined MOCA and I had tried to join WOKE and how we were learning about really how broad people of color is. Like it, he didn't even know he was considered a person of color. So it was like we were talking about that and his stepdad looks at us and he's like, well, you guys aren't people of color. And then he's like, look at your guys' skin. You guys are almost as white as me. And we were just looking at him like that. You're just, all our struggles, you just threw them out the door. Like, you're act, like, it was just one of the most horrible experiences we ever went through because we came from, from the campus. Like, we were so riled up. We were, like, empowered. And we were like, okay, like, we found this new thing that means so much to us. And he just shot it down with one comment. Didn't even try to acknowledge the fact. And then the minute we're like, okay, really? Like I mentioned, we were empowered, we're like, we're ready for this. And we tried to like combat him, and he just did not want to hear it. We were going to like bring out Google. He's like, oh, you don't need to do that. Like He was just so uncomfortable with the idea of being wrong and the idea of like learning. Like It's okay to be wrong, but that's what I think people need to open up to, is just accepting your mistakes and being, okay, let me learn. Because we were providing him with the perfect opportunity to just hear us out and learn, and he just did not want to hear it. He wanted to be right, he didn't want to be wrong, and it was just, it was probably the first time I'd ever really felt like, wow, someone is just completely not seeing me for my whole me. They just want to see me through their eyes and what they see me as. So definitely 100% mm -hmm. um, colorism comes into it. Um, me, I'm actually half, my dad's Mexican, my mom's Ecuadorian, so, and they both have fair skin. So I don't know any of their personal stories like back home, but here I even had a struggle with acting Mexican and then acting Ecuadorian because Latin, um, South American culture is just very different from any other country. Countries vary country to country, even within South America. Mm -hmm. So words even are different. So it was just a constant struggle 
at home when I would go to my dad's house, when I'd go to my mom's house. But then it went beyond that at school, making sure like, okay, when I, when people are saying I act Latina, are they like talking about my Mexican side or are they talking about my Ecuadorian side? Like, it was just like a constant struggle. And then like I mentioned, we came to UNLV, got empowered through it. So it was just like, anytime it's tested, it's just, I don't know. But I definitely recognize, recognize the privilege I carry by being fairer skinned because mm, it's just, you go out with your family and then I always talk about colorism. I can be approached and my cousin who's actually from Mexico, lived there her whole life, she doesn't want to get, like no one approaches her because they automatically assume she doesn't speak English and like they'll only make eye contact with me when they're asking me a question about her. And she has perfect English. She just like moved there a couple years ago because she was like, I don't like America. So it was just, it, it's, it's unfair the way things are set up, but I don't know. I think we're definitely, like I mentioned earlier, on an awakening where we're talking about these things, where we're able to maybe start learning, start um, accepting things as they are, not as we want to see them. No, definitely, and like I can touch on that too, with my girlfriend, she is Spanish and Mexican and white. So she has very predominantly white skin so when people see her, they don't see her as someone that has any sense of like Latinx in her. And that leads to like a lot of backlash within like her family because her dad is very Mexican. Well, he acts white, but he is, he, like, you, you, can, you can tell that he's Mexican. <laughs> and, but she doesn't speak Spanish, but she loves the culture, the Latinx culture, but even throughout like her own family, Everyone always like brings up to her how she isn't Latinx, how she isn't a part of that culture, even though she is. It's just a lot of backlash within just because she's so so white that everybody thinks that just because of her skin that completely defeats the purpose or defeats her entire culture in a way. Um, and this also kind of leads to this whole so yeah, Hira kind of touched on it a little bit too of like the toxicity that there is within Latinx communities uh, comparative to other Latinx, or Latinx communities within each other as well as to like other movements that are happening in the just... It's more so like the closed-mindedness that you find yes. within our communities that it's just, the Latinx community can be so closed-minded in so many topics, but recently one that's been like really prevalent, especially on the media, is the combat of usually more old school Latinx uh, community members that are combating the BLM movement going on, saying like, okay, well, we'll, we'll bring up the, uh, Vanessa Guillen. They're like, well, why isn't she getting the same attention? Why isn't she getting the same energy? Y'all better bring that energy over. Like, it was just, it turned into this thing that it shouldn't have been. It was just simply about, how I mentioned, humanitarian rights, and they were just turning it into this war that didn't need to exist. And it was just, it just came down to the younger generation having that conversation. My dad came up to me and was like, oh, like, why are they destroying our city? And I was like, that's because the media that you're following? That was the other issue. That he was getting his news from Facebook from the local radio station that was in Spanish. And I reached out to them because this radio station posted a video of the riots and called it the protest. And I was like, there it goes. That's why you think the way you think. Because your media outlet is telling you that the riots that happened after the fact that let me mention was a bunch of white teenagers that were like barely going into high school and a bunch of wannabe thugs that were like putting their like, I don't even know, fake gang signs up, 
spray painting the police station. It was like, that wasn't the protest. The protest started at three o'clock. They announced, we don't want violence. We don't want none of that. We're gonna have a vigil, we're gonna have this, we're gonna have that. Any riots are not associated with us and who put this on. And yet that radio outlet still put the riots knowing that even the organization was like, do not associate the riots with us. So I have my dad and all his friends who also listen to that radio station. Cause we know small, we only have like two, three Spanish radio stations. And that's where everyone hears everything. And it's like, it's just a bunch of misinformation. And when they come and ask those questions, like it can be uncomfortable, but you just gotta stick by it. It was uncomfortable with my dad because there was silence. I was like, well, no, you have to care. Because they fought along our side, we have to fought along the next one and the next one after that. We can't just stop with one. You, know, you can't expect them to be the same with us right away off the bat because it's issue by issue. And I don't know, it's just, there's so much things that have to be fixed, I think, within the Latinx community. My mother brought this up to me, like, I want to say like two weekends ago. And it was more a situation of, she didn't understand why there was such a big protest for what happened to George Floyd, comparative to what happened to, I can always say. Vanessa Guillen. Yeah, Vanessa Guillen, I always like, don't say the last name, don't do that. But she was comparing George Floyd's protests and Vanessa Guillen's protests because Vanessa Guillen's protests haven't been as televised as what happened with George Floyd. And that led her to believe that there wasn't any protest happening, that there was nobody that was like talking about her, nobody trying to fight for her and stuff like that. And it was more, like this whole thing is more of like an oppression Olympics throughout like the Latinx community. And most of like the older generations see it as BLM is just, that they're just about black lives. And they always bring up about how, like why is it black lives instead of like all lives or something like that. And my parents have brought that up too. And even if, like, that's not the point of it. Like, it's, right now, the black lives are the ones that are being targeted. Those are the ones that are being hurt the most. That's why black lives matter. It's not to single out other races, even though all the races are struggling as well. But it's to bring up all that systematic oppression, all the oppression that there is in the community as a whole. Yeah, I've had some time to think about it, so here my head. So just hear me out, but like the way I've rationalized it was that in the Latinx community, or pretty much in a lot of any person that identifies as a person of color, like their communities, a lot of them are built on family and traditions and like just always respecting and honoring that. So it's like I feel a lot of it just comes down to that resentment that has been passed down to us. Because you go to Latinx communities and there is so much resentment towards black people, and it's because it literally goes back down to history. And it's just, it's not only here at an issue in the United States, it's an issue back where our parents from and our ancestors before that. And it's just, we need to stop holding that resentment because just as everything's just progressed so much to the point where like, we need to just let it go and start seeing things, like I mentioned, seeing things as they are and not as we were told they are. Because we're, our parents have been raising us a certain way and it's like, they're learning, each generation gets new knowledge every single time and it's it's i think we're at the breaking point where it's from now on like we're going to start seeing those changes and we're going to start seeing more acceptance within our communities um but yeah i kind of want to hop off of a point that both y'all talked um talked about a little bit and 
it was the idea of oh why um, is it why isn't the story of you said Vanessa Guillen mm-hmm. yeah Vanessa Guillen why isn't it getting as much traction and things like that and I think it's interesting just because we've seen it time time again or at least um, throughout like my lifetime it's like continually seeing the list of black lives taken at the hands of police grow and the idea of people are always trying to find a reason why bad things happened mm-hmm. or trying to justify it so I feel like it's also very familiar within that given situation and let's say um, George Zimmerman's acquittal uh, after Trayvon Martin's death of people always trying to find a reason of like oh there's still speculation over this so there's no facts behind this so we can't fully back what people are saying you know what I mean especially when it comes to like armed forces and um, the police because people are like oh I don't want to be seen as un-American for seeming like I'm going. I'm not backing this and things like that. So people are always trying to pick apart why things don't happen, and it just feeds to people's inherent biases. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Just the idea of how, like with Trayvon Martin, people are like, "Oh, then why was he walking around in a hoodie at night? Why did he have his hands in his pockets? Why was he doing this?" You know what exactly. I mean? And how people are trying to justify it, like the same thing with Vanessa Gillian, of people are like, "Oh, but there's no evidence that." she was assaulted or this and that we still don't know who her remains are and we still don't know this and that and it's like so people are like how do we for sure know some um another one of um like the male soldiers did this like you know what I mean? like there's no facts behind this or like idea. what trump said it's like oh you put men and women together what did you expect to happen like, exactly like that? trying to justify yeah. horrible things just to not just to not make a fuss you know what i mean so i think yeah. it's really interesting because we don't see things until it's on the very extreme side of the scale especially within social media and within like mm-hmm. the news that in the sources that we get our news from you know what i mean so it's just crazy to see like you said like a lot of people aren't um a lot of folks didn't feel like she was getting a huge backing in what happened to her which was horrible and it should have been more televised and it should people yeah didn't care enough when they should have and I think the one thing that was different with the George Floyd instance was that it happened on camera there's no way to combat that like a man was killed in the street you know what I mean like which I'm not saying that's like I'm not saying it's a justification of it but going back like I said the ties of like the way people see things and how people try to pick things apart, it's kind of hard to pick apart a man being murdered on camera. You know what I mean? So, like, it's just one one of the weird things that always goes back to the media and, like, are the news outlets that we take in information for ourselves and, like, having to go the extra mile to fact-check things and to find the truth for ourselves is hard. And a lot of people don't want to do the work or just don't understand that the people that they're trusting to get their information from aren't doing the work themselves, which is, like, crazy. And like you said, it goes into the things of like, it, then it just automatically starts people going into like, we said like the oppression Olympics of people yeah. always trying to combat, like we go through, folks of color all go through different lived experiences. So blackness isn't a monolith. Um, being a Latinx person isn't a monolith. Like all of these things, like there's not a singular, just because you share someone a same identity with someone doesn't mean you're walking through the same experience. Yeah, like how you mentioned earlier, you said, Growing up, I had just seen that list growing. That's something I didn't grow up. I didn't hear, oh, uh, Ecuadorian murdered. Oh, 
Mexican murder. Like, I didn't hear that. That wasn't part of my childhood. So I understand why there's an uproar. And that's something people need to step back and be like, okay, I didn't grow up having to be told, oh, don't don't argue with the uh, officer. First time I got pulled over, I argued with the officer. Like, that is a privilege within itself. Like, it's just the differences that people, they don't realize that we grew up so differently and that that translate into who we become as adults and who, what our morals are, what our values are. Because people don't step back and be like, I, I would have, like, some people just, I don't think they ever just stop to put themselves in another person's shoes and be like, I didn't have to grow up fearing that, oh, when I go out tonight, do I have to, should I wear my hoodie on? Should I take my hoodie off? I'm, oh shit, I'm wearing, oh, oh, I'm wearing all black tonight. Like maybe I should, you know? So it's just, it comes down to that, to acknowledging that we've all had such different experiences and that we all have our struggles, but that doesn't mean that we have to compare them. That doesn't mean that I need to be, oh, really, Darren? Well, you grew up. See, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and be like, really? That sucks. But mm-hmm. listen to what I had to go. Like, that's just not how it is. It's yeah. just to sit here and hear each other out and be like, I hear you and I'm here to empower you in your community. How can I help you? And, it, and also to add on to that, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Darian spoke to me about it once and I'm just going to go to her for every resource I need. Mm-hmm. People need to educate themselves. People need to go on the internet, need to go to authors. There's literally people who go to school to educate you on this, who have free resources out there. So it's just, oh, sorry, I just like went on a, no, no, on I, a little that's exactly- tangent there, but that's just, it's really what it comes down to. Just recognizing that we have all these different experiences and that we just need to just stop comparing them. No, yeah, I 100% agree. Or at least when we are comparing, the idea of empathy has to follow through every single conversation that we have with folks that don't share similar identities as us. Mm -hmm. So if we are talking about these struggles, it's acknowledging that they are struggles that happen to folks of color, emphasizing how everyone has a different lived experience and like you said, instead of seeing them as differences and the idea of these are pulling us apart, seeing them as differences amongst us to see how we can better empower one another and understand those experiences. Exactly. Because you're never going to be able to. My experience as a black woman is very different from the experiences from a dark-skinned black woman. Like we said, it's like that's just another part of colorism mm-hmm. for every aspect of it in every different way. Exactly. It's a very different lived experience. And just in my singular community it's an entirely different experience. So just in that, people take those differences and try to drive us apart instead of us sitting down and being 100% open, honest, and willing to learn and to push those areas of comfort because the only way we grow is outside of our comfort zones. There's no growth in comfort. And that's really why we wanted to do Mocha Talks and have Mocha and Woke and stuff like that because we want to help kind of cultivate all the cultures that everybody to kind of keep growing and elevate that and have that voice and have that mo- those moments to actually talk about these things and actually educate everybody because there's no way that we can fix these problems, these conflicts, and we're all under the same system. We're all under the same yeah. system that is screwed from the very beginning. So we just have to find a way to actually learn from it and change it and fix it so that way we can all live with equity and live to just be happy with each other because this is the biggest problem that we're facing of just comparing ourselves for no reason. And 
this has been another episode of Mocha Talks. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh I am Josue Solis. I'm Darian Fluker. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Should we read that? <laughs> and thank you.